rocks. It's another episode of the Guitar Ted Podcast. It's episode number 26. And we took it outside. That's right. We're sitting outside the Stone Castle Estates today. That's my co-host, New York Roll there. And uh, he brusted out the good stuff today. We got Topo Chico. Morgan moves in and uh, quality of life instantly increases. <laughs> yeah, he's even clean shaven, folks. That doesn't nope. happen often. For the record, she's looking at me through the window. <laughs> <laughs> we better watch what she we say now. No, she's been here before. She knows how this goes. We got all hopped up on Topo Chico. <sighs> Topo Chico. So, I got a sponsorship form from them. You did? No, I just wanted to lie and feel like I was a big deal. (laughs) That'd be pretty awesome, actually. That would be funny. So, if you're out there from Topo Chico, get a hold of us at g.ted.productionsgmail.com. We only charge four bottles per episode. That's right. We're cheap. All right, folks. Uh, We're coming to you just after uh, Gravel Worlds happen. That's going to top off our gravel grinder news to start out the show. Yep, yep. Uh, was it their mud year? Yes. I I don't remember one being this wet. Usually or, it's dry and humid. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of had the dirty Kansas conditions this year. Yep, they sure did. They had up to, what was it, three inches of rain, and it was still raining when the event started? Yeah, so the people who did the long voyage were spared that at the beginning, but... Probably did survive it. Not all of them did. Correct. Um, the latecomers, I guess, made it through somewhat unscathed, from what I could see. Yeah. Uh, your winner from last year was the winner from this year in the male category. Hey, we're going to get our picture taken, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we got the shot. <laughs> She's happy. All right. So, um, yeah, Gravel Worlds went went off without a hitch, pretty much, except for that unusual weather. So, yeah. So, that, congratulations to all you folks who finished that. Um, just thought that was interesting that they got all that rain. I mean, when, when you run an event, eventually you're going to run into some kind of inclement weather. Yeah. And this was their year. Now, yeah. the year I did it uh, and finished, I've done it many years, but only finished it once. So... That was 2016. They actually had rain the day before. So I remember one of the uh, MMRs, as they call their dirt roads, uh, had a, you'll, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, uh, Mr. Roll, but uh, my friend, and you know this guy, uh, Tony McGrain. Oh, yeah. We rode much of that event together. and It was towards the end of the event, and there was one of the MMRs that was uh, not 100% dry yet. Yeah. And uh, there was a small uh, thread of dirt that you could ride to get from one point to another between two great big huge mud puddles. And uh, Tony didn't make it. <laughs> Sounds like you're like hopscotching down the sidewalk type yeah, of thing. Yeah, he uh, went over sideways. So about half of his body was caked in this uh, grimy mud. And uh, the other half he was clean. And we actually spent about 10 minutes there Getting him, getting the slime wiped off his legs and stuff. It was pretty humorous. <laughs> so that was uh, one one instance where there was mud at Gravel Worlds. I know, but this yeah. year they had a lot more of it. And the roads get real soft when it rains there. So I saw some pictures where the tire tracks were like a half inch deep into the gravel. So that make, means you're working way harder yeah. when that happens. So lot, lots of fun was had. I'm sure. And some races, just taking the starts, winning. Yeah. As you're overcoming a mental obstacle. That's right. That's right. Yep. So kudos to all you who lined up at that one. That was not an easy ride. So. Would you say they were pirating in the mud? (laughs) You could say that, I guess. (laughs) Just giving away free market ideas. Yeah. Yeah. We try here. Yep. So, uh, big news that popped out today, uh, of course, we all expected it to come out after we saw the teaser photos from 
the dirty cans. Well, it's not dirty cans anymore. It's unbound. Um, the 12 speed Shimano GRX came out. Yep. So interesting points from that are that they kind of split the group up into three different sub groups, I guess you could say, uh, two one buys and a two by group choice. So one of them is more geared for racing. It has a choice of 40 or 42 drive rings mated with a 10 to 42 tooth cassette mm-hmm. or 45 tooth cassette, sorry. And uh, then the other one's a, a one by group, same drive rings, but you get a 10 to 51 spread. So deeper gearing. Yeah. And then the two by is the 46 by 31. I always thought that was really weird that they went with 31, but you have to keep a 17 tooth spread that's the maximum spread that their derailleur can handle so that's okay. why that's how they arrived at 31 which i think is kind of funny um i don't know i just think that's odd an odd number well 31. math it's universal yeah and uh the cassettes that you can pair with that are in 11 to 34 or 11 to 36. Yeah. now you noted that the one buys use a 10 fast cog that means they're using micro spline micro spline yes micro spline <laughs> are they protected by sharks with lasers yeah i don't know about that no it's not it's it's not micro spine <laughs> yeah no um micro spline um gets me off on a kind of a different rant about hubs that we probably should have talk about someday yeah yeah well what i find interesting about it is that micro spline which allows a cassette to be fitted with a 10 tooth cog so you get that wider range that sram enjoys Mm -hmm. in their one by groups yeah um micro spline was only used on the mountain bike side until now so what does that mean going forward that they decided that they could use it for a something of a road group. Are you going to be able to do that with road components someday? I mean, SRAM's already kind of doing that. Well, SRAM, yeah, SRAM is doing that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to say SRAM. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say SRAM like the British people do. Yeah. Now I just offended the 1% of people that listen from England. <laughs> I think it takes a lot to offend the English. Yeah, maybe. You can let us know <laughs> out there, folks. Uh, yeah, I just think that that opens up kind of a can of worms because uh, you're, you've got a derailleur now that shifts with a drop bar lever that can handle a 10 by 51 cassette. So now you gotta have, you got to think that road people are looking at that and drooling going, hey, what about us? You know, what about us that do touring and what about us that, aren't fit enough to use a, you know, a 39 or a whatever subcompact is now 34, I suppose, 34, 34 gearing, you know, which is, I think what they're limited to in the roadside. Yeah. They're going to look at that and go, Hey, uh, we'd like to have that 45 tooth cassette, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think they almost have to do with that now at some point. I, the thing I like about what SRAM has done is they got the XD and they got the XDR hub bodies, mm-hmm. which is pretty much 11 speed and above. Um, outside, well, mountain bike is 11 speed. So if you use like the uh, XX1 or X01s, but if you're using the rival Reds Force and 11 speed, they're they're still going off of memory. Getting younger is fun. Um, going <laughs> off of memory, they're still using the old standard on that, but going to 12 speed yeah. in SRAM, everything else is XD or XDR. And the real difference is the hub shoulder. So either you put a one millimeter spacer on, I believe for XD and XDR, XD, the R means road, you take that shim out. The R doesn't stand for reverse. My life is going in reverse, maybe. <laughs> but. I feel like Benjamin Button. Anyways, <laughs> um, I guess where I'm going with it is, you know, SRAM's at least 
has one standard for a speed across the board. And it is somewhat reverse compatible to 11 speed, depending upon the discipline, depending upon the root group set. Um, and now Shimano's got how many standards in one platform? You yeah. Know, it's, I, it just goes back to our, our argument of why cycling is expensive. Because imagine you're trying to have a gravel bike, you're trying to have a mountain bike, you're trying to have a road bike. And now you're maintaining all these different standards, different cassettes. Um, yeah. Here, I got really lucky this year. I got the fat bike on a 12-speed. I got the blur on a 12-speed. So I can I can interchange stuff. So if I want to make my uh, twin six adventure rig, if I want to make that into a 12-speed, I can. I, and I've done it. I've taken the group set off the blur and boom, boom, boom. All I did was really just change out the drivetrain major components, left the cranks alone. Um, that's my sales pitch for SRAM. Uh, but um, looking at Shimano, it's not going to be that easy. Yeah. Well, I, I think at some point you got to start wondering what they're going to, where they're going to head with the microspline thing. My feeling is at some point everything's going to be microspline. I. And maybe, maybe it's the competitiveness in the market between the two big guys, gals, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> the big hitters, Shram and Shimano. We'll just call them the S Corps. Yeah. You know, the S Corps, maybe they should play nicer together. Yeah. And that way the yeah, customers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dream on, pal. <laughs> Aerosmith reference? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, anyways, so uh, where I'm going with it is if they played nicer together and they would stop doing some of this proprietary information crap, it would be better for the customers. Yeah, but it, you're right. I mean, you're, and that's been something that's been said for years by lots of people, but, you know, the bottom line is it's about business and your market share and how you retain that. So you get people into your ecosystem and, you know, they thrive in that ecosystem. Hopefully you're making those people happy enough. They don't care about what the other company's doing. So I don't know. I, I've never subscribed to that school of thought. Yeah. As a person who believes in a free market, I'm kind of like, you want to be compatible. You want to have some compatibility. So people are out there screaming at me. That's oh, not it. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. You want <laughs> you want to reduce barriers for people to come to your product. True. Those same barriers you're reducing also allow people to leave your product. Right. You know. So I think the corporations are looking at it as too much as getting people to leave your product. Hey, we gotta keep who we got. Well, do you really, or do you just need to be? flexible enough to accept new people and reduce the barriers right now if i want to push Shimano on anything i would have to change out uh free hub bodies yeah yeah you know, i could yeah. keep the cranks maybe i have to change out a chain ring depending upon the chain ring i got but yeah man, probably not i'm out another 90 bucks at a minimum depending upon who sure. i get the free hub body from right that's you know not like the old days. No, get off my lawn. <laughs> New York roll shakes his fist at the cloud. Um, yeah, so uh, here's something. You, I don't know if you knew this, but our contributor, uh, Matt MG on the yep. site, he went to a press camp for GRX a couple weeks ago in Bend, Oregon. So he actually got to ride this stuff. Yeah. So I talked to him today before our show about it to get some insights and uh he was saying that they've improved the shifting because he's ridden grx he's yeah and he's a fan of it you know he's a big grx fan um and he said they've improved the shifting it's smoother quicker he thought easier to to operate than the original grx and uh he also said that one of the things that a lot of people are missing is that the the new levers um, the brakes work way better, he said. Yeah. And I thought GRX brakes were awesome, but he said now they're they're even better and markedly better, he said. And uh, he's had GRX on a bike at home for, I don't know what he say, about a month or so, one of his bikes at home, and he's been test riding it. 
So, um, so he's fairly familiar with it now. I am starting to get in the camp that SRAM does not have a good brake system. Really? I'm start. You, you know, this is kind of shocking coming from me. <laughs> um, because I had one of the rare sets of XX1 Avids to last like 12 years. And everyone was like yeah, bailing. And you were like, Dave, no, this is not normal. You are special. And yeah. I'm like, well, I know I'm special. <laughs> you just didn't know how special you were. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> these uh, forces I have in there, and maybe it's because I'm running them with 180 millimeter rotors. Maybe I'm overkilling it and I'm running it on a mountain bike that I put drop bars on. But maybe the application is wrong, but I am not impressed with those uh, yeah. force brakes I have. Over the years since SRAM has made disc brakes, their history has been a checkered one. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's like a certain bike company. Um, you do not buy the first year they come out with a brand new carbon fork. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know what company that is, just hit me up in my DMs. <laughs> but, yeah, we had this talk one day, didn't we? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, uh, as a mechanic, uh, and if you talk to any bike mechanic that's been around both SRAM and Shimano and all, and the other makers of disc brakes, almost to a man or woman, they will tell you that the uh, SRAM brakes have had issues. That's putting it nicely. So we'll just leave it at that because I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. But it's, well, it's it's on record that SRAM has had issues with brakes, so. But those TL those it. TLMs yeah. I have, the TLMs I got, I they're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. I've had nothing but good luck. I've had um, those guides I had on that Spearfish, they were okay. But the one company I will never touch again is Magura. Yeah? Yeah, I had them on an Epic. I had a, yeah, I had an Epic. And mm-hmm. um, no, never again. Never again. That yeah. bad, huh? Uh, primary reason why I got rid of that bike. Hmm. <laughs> no, that's too bad. Yeah. I had Magura brakes off and on. I never had any issues with them. But, you know. I I won't even look at them. I had a really bad experience. Hmm. Yeah, so anyway, back to the GRX stuff. Um, MG thought that, uh, thought it was... Uh, a nice upgrade. One thing that he also mentioned that I didn't catch in the press release was that the wheels that came out with it aren't yeah. branded GRX. No? No. Pro? He said they're branded R8800s. 8880s. Let me put it. Yeah, 80s. Okay. R880s. And he goes, the branding is so subtle, you have to really look for it. Really? But, uh, for whatever reason, Shimano decided not to put those in as GRX, maybe it's because they're going to use them for mountain bikes too. Well, I was going to ask how wide the internal rim 25, was. which is, that's a bit wide for a road rig. Yeah. And it's, but it's good for a cross country mountain bike. I'm not arguing that. And the wheels only weigh 1338. I think it was. Yeah. And you can get them with a micro spline cassette. So, you know, there's another indication that Shimano is kind of blurring the lines between road and mountain a little bit here and there. So, yeah, I could see people buying the the those wheels for their cross country bike and putting a you know a 1051 cassette on it and a 38 tooth drive ring and go cross country racing. Yeah, you know. So, and they use J bend spokes, and so if you break one, it's easy to replace it. And uh, yeah. I believe that was the first wheel set that they've made with uh, sealed bearings instead of uh, cup and cone. Really? Yep. Huh. So they're super smooth, easy to re- easy to fix. Uh, they have the um, what is it? They, something engagement, dual engagement. I think it's dual engagement. What Shimano calls it, but regardless of what they call it, all it means is that you can easily switch free hub bodies from hyperglide to microspline. Nice. Like the Dura-Ace wheels, I guess you can do that with. Nice. So if you can do that with Dura-Ace wheels, you can put a microspline wheel cassette on a Dura-Ace wheel. 
Nice. Theoretically. Then what would you do? <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenbike. Frankenbike, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all good. So let's talk a minute about what's missing from GRX. The the uh announcement today had no mention of an electronic group. It also had no mention of an entry-level group because when GRX came out, they had GRX 400, which was 10-speed stuff. Yes. So I my theory is, is that the industry at the moment ha- has record levels of inventory and sales are lackluster. So I think Shimano has that stuff ready to go, but they chose not to introduce it because it would just be a burden on the industry and they're not going to sell it. So... So one of the things that I've been looking at is going to an English manufacturing company called Ratio. This is for your business or for bikes? For my bikes. Oh, your bikes, okay. So it'd be my business. So I have an 11-speed drop bar shifter in there, force. Yeah. And you can change out a cam in there. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can change out a cam in there and then make your 11 speed a 12 speed. Right. And the reason why I would be doing that is because I would really like to have a 12 speed mechanical. Yeah. Because, you know, for $75 and probably about an hour's worth of labor, I can, you know. Because SRAM doesn't do that, right? Correct. They only have electronic. Correct. For 12 speed. Gotcha. And I think that would be a great way to go. Mm -hmm. And if, GRX is coming out, you know, it might be late for one of these rigs in here, but, you know, buying a new bike, 12-speed mechanical. Yeah. I mean, what do you want for backpack, for bike packing? You want, I would rather have a mechanical yeah, shifter. You don't have to worry about batteries, right? Yeah. Right. Unless you're Jay Peterberry. Well, we can talk about Jay in a minute here, too. Yeah. It's not really a good story, <laughs> no. but I just found that interesting that you're going to go on a multi-day expedition and somehow be tethered to battery you know, charging. Yeah. Yeah. At some point over 3000 miles and yeah. however many hundreds of shifts, yeah. if not thousands of shifts without a, without a uh, dynamo hub. Yeah. Which poisons, you know, you take on the dynamo hub, you take on more rolling resistance. You don't have it. You're now tethered to infrastructure. Right. And then what's the probability the Dynamo Hub survives the entire trip? Yeah. You'd have that issue. But maybe. the manufacturing of those has gotten a lot better. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, GRX, uh, check it out. We had two articles up on the site. We will have notes in our links in the show notes. Um, one of them is just pretty much a straight up uh, article that Matt put up giving all the technical details and prices and everything on the new GRX stuff. And I have one up that has my reactions to it. And some of the stuff I've mentioned here on the show today is on there. So check those out. We'll have the links in the show notes. Uh, might as well talk about JP. We brought him up. So um, JP was uh, on a, a trip from not just Banff. I guess they added another section on the Great like Divide. It was like a day and a half's ride. Yeah, a day and a half's ride. They got them to a 3,000-mile mark versus right. the 27. Right, yeah, it's over 3,000 miles now. So he was going to do that whole Great Divide route, and he was calling the project the Great Divide Unearthed, and he was raising money for Rebecca Rush's Be Good Foundation to start a scholarship for bikepacking. So that was the the reason behind the whole trip. Well, uh, he and Esker Cycles got together. Uh, they had a relationship previously at a different company, um, those two parties. And uh, they got together and they took a Hayduke, a Thai Hayduke, and extended the rear end on it because I guess uh, JP and Esker cycles. were thinking about this long tail idea for our mid tail, I guess you could call it idea for a bike packing bike. And that was the bike Jay was on. And when he was in the area of, what was it? Grand junction or no, it wasn't. Where was it that he got, 
Anyway, he got hit by a car. It was in Colorado. It was in Colorado somewhere. And uh, he got hit by a car and got messed up pretty bad. Uh, the driver stopped, called the authorities. Um, and uh, Jay has uh, uh, really broken up wrist, uh, humerus fracture, uh, burst fracture in his L3 vertebrae, I believe it is amongst other lacerations and injuries, and he's going to be laid up for quite a while. I guess he's supposed to be in a back brace for four to six weeks, something like that. Oof. So, anyway, our thoughts go out to JP. So, I want to mention, uh, if you want to support JP, the best way you can do it is to donate to his cause, which he never got to finish the trip. So, um, he, he swears he's going to finish it at some point, but for now it's unfinished. We're going to put a link in the show notes to the Be Good Foundation to uh, his his uh, fundraiser, and I uh, encourage you to hit that up if you feel like you want to help JP out. So all our thoughts and prayers to JP right now. JP, you're very get better, man. We're pulling for you here. All right. So moving on, I thought we could talk about um, – what I got going on for my bike packing setup. Oh, yeah. Are we going Labor Day weekend? Oh, we could. Mark's out of town. Yeah? Yeah. Well, let's, let's figure something out. I already got a kitchen pass. Do you? <laughs> I can figure that out. <laughs> so here's what's going on. So uh, Old Man Mountain sent me a rack last year to test out, and I had intended on doing this trip but for a, a various reasons, everything went to heck in a handbasket. And uh, I never got it done, but I did review the rack. It's an Elkhorn rack from Old Man Mountain. And this year they reached out to me again and they said, hey, look, uh, we've got these new bags coming out. And uh, there's a set of paneers called the Ponderosa paneers. And they have a, a rack top bag called the Juniper Trunk. And they wanted to send me those. And they said, look, we know you got the Elkhorn rack, but this Juniper trunk bag won't work with it, so we're going to send you a divide rack that it will work with. Okay. So it all showed up, and I stuck everything on my Singular Cycles Griffin Mark III yeah. and uh, got it all set up and everything. But... Uh, so I want to just give my thoughts, on just quick thoughts on the bags first and the rack and then i got a question for you mr roll that i think you can help with <laughs> so because your expertise is kind of in this area uh so first of all the the paneers are kind of they're kind of like mini paneers they're made out of a tpu fabric so they're waterproof they got welded seams everything uh roll top and they use this this cam action velcro um, strap mechanism to put it on the rack and the rack itself the divide rack is like super burly it's like uh, I think it, everything with the hardware and everything it weighs 980 grams it's a pretty pretty burly rack and they made it so it won't break you know yeah I mean that was the whole point behind it and it's rated for 70 pounds so you can take your your 50-pound bag of dog food home from the grocery store in this thing. <laughs> and a 12-pack. Yeah. So uh, it's it's made to haul. So that was good. Uh, when I went to mount the thing, the Ponderosa paneers on it, so your rack's on the bike. The inside-facing part of the pannier faces the rear tire, so you've got a space of maybe four inches to work, get your hand up back in there. Okay. And you have to take the strap. There's an upper, a little short strap with a, with some hardware on it. You got to loop that over the the rack crossbar while you're holding the loose paneer. And simultaneously, you have to run the strap through the hardware on that little strap and then pull down. You thought about taping on a dummy cord? Yeah, that's about the only way you could do it with one person, but I managed to figure it out. Could you take the wheel out? Yeah, but who's going to do that on the trail? That's what I'm thinking. I mean, yeah, when you mount it at home, you could do all these things. Yeah. But, yeah, I, yeah. but you know, a lot of people like to take their paneers off at night and put them in the tent with them. 
because they got stuff in them they need to get at. You know, it's like your clothes or what, or just to keep them from getting pillaged in overnight. You know, so well, I got a simple solution to all of this. <laughs> What's that? Don't take your paneers off. <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. But see, there's a lot of people who who do touring. I call it touring because that's what we called it back in the day. Um, that like to take their paneers off every night. Well, you don't have to. You can still sleep with your bike. Yeah. Tarp tent it. You could do that maybe. Yeah. But you don't, you see what I'm saying though. Yeah, if I you're you one right. of these people that want to take it off, that makes it a real pain in the butt to do it. And it was a pain in the butt to put these things on. Uh, the lower strap, the one that keeps the paneer from flying out over, around corners and stuff and over big bumps, that was easy. That was no problem. That was super easy to hook that one up. But, okay. you know, I've I've dealt with tens of different, if not a hundred different kinds of paneers over my 30 years of being a bike mechanic. The ones that are really easy are the ones with the hooks on, on top. Yeah. You just hook them over the crossbar. And then you strap on the bottom strap, and that tension between those two is what holds the holds the paneer on the yeah, rack. Yeah, gravity holds this one. one. This one works different because it's pulling the paneer into the, the rack from okay. the side. I don't. I'm not arguing with their with their uh, engineering. It's sound engineering. It's just that to make it work as a rider, it's more difficult. So that's my only beef with it. They've got compression straps on it, so you can really zip down whatever you've got inside of there right tight to the um, inside of the paneer. And it also has um, those plastic sheets that some bag makers use to give their bags form. It's got one on the inside and one, oh, yeah, yeah. And one on the outside, which the outside one's removable if you don't it's like that. It's flexible plastic. Right, yeah. and that helps compress everything in too. So I was impressed with that, how that worked, and that was... Super simple to figure out. So that that was good. Now, we we'll to get to the Juniper trunk bag and the reason they sent me the divide rack. Because they said it wouldn't work. The Juniper bag would not work on the Elkhorn rack. And when I had the bag in hand and looking at the Elkhorn rack, I'm like, um, why not? I don't see why it wouldn't work. So I put it on there and it works fine. I don't... I don't understand why they said it wouldn't work. So I'm kind of at a loss for, for Take that. Take pictures and send it to them. Well, yeah, I've got all kinds of pictures of it. Yeah, like explain. So, What's the philosophy? Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah, I don't know. I rode around with it. Do you, mount it solid. do you mount it upside down? Mm-mm. Okay. It's holding stuff. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> have, have you ever used the Revelate uh, uh, cam, like the strap with the cam that snaps over? Yeah. You ever use those? Well, that's what this uses, a system like that, the the Juniper bag. So it's, there are slots in the rack top, and you run the strap through there and zip it down tight and use that cam lock to, to lock it in. Uh, great idea, but um, and their cam lock is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that when you've used a Revelate one, you're spoiled because those are really good ones. Yeah. They're super easy to use. Uh, so... That's another point where I'm like, okay, your cam lock idea is awesome, old man mountain, but take a look at what Revelate uses and elevate your game a little bit because if they could make theirs like work like the, the Revelate ones, whew, man, it would be a better experience for the user. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that, that uh, that's a point where they could elevate their game. Not that what they're doing is wrong or bad even. It's not. It's great. But, you know. Once you've been spoiled, it's kind of hard to go backwards. Um, and so I've got everything mounted on it. I got pictures on social media and on the uh, Facebook page of it. And I'll have a, mm-hmm. once this GRX thing is kind of cooled down a little bit, I'm going to post a article on the site. We'll put a note in the show notes when that happens. And uh, so I guess we're going to use this stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, put to, put a trip together over Labor Day. Yeah. So we're recording this just before Labor Day weekend. So the question I wanted to ask you is one about, um, it's got something to do with fasteners. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) So my blog today, I put up a a mini review of the old man mountain stuff. And some of my uh, readers were commenting about 
bolt grades of bolts and why would you not want to seek out the strongest bolts and what bolts are better than others and so i started looking up this stuff because i have a very vague knowledge of it as a mechanic but it, you can go Here down a go. big rabbit hole on this thing so. i am not the expert but i can tell you what little i do know um usually it's driven by cost yeah i would imagine yeah there's so. lots of grades yeah Driven by cost, driven by what are you actually doing? You know, are you actually trying to hold two things together? Um, also, what are you holding? Because you would probably not want to steal, stick a uh, uh, heat-treated threaded bolt into plastic. That'd be overkill, you know. Um, and also, are you trying to do a compression fit? Are you trying to keep something from pulling apart? Yeah. Um whole bunch of things. So your application, your bolt starts everything on application into what, onto what um, matters. And then we can start talking about fine pitch versus coarse pitch. Um, even the major diameter of the pitch matters uh, sometimes. Uh, in the machining world I live in, I do more, you know, drilling and tapping of holes than sure. I do studying what goes into them. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey guys, you know, I, uh, I just know how to machine pretty okay. I'm okay-ish. <laughs> um, you know, so that, that all matters. So really the application on bikes, um, I would just say to go to Menards or go any place. Like we got Scott's screw shop over here. Right. That, yeah. yeah. Scott's I, supply. Yeah. Well. I go over there. So most other people would probably possibly you can walk into a fastenal i've never had to yeah there's fastenals i also found in my research that home depot actually has a wide array of hardware menards is not that good on metric which kind of shocked me yeah yeah well yeah, maybe they're anti the rest of the world i mean are, <laughs> i gotta get political here for a hot second our government kills in meters so why aren't we building things in meters you yeah know? I well, maybe they can't blame it on us that way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more, it has to do with NATO. You know, you're yeah. calling it airstrike. It'd be kind of nice to say kilometers yeah. with the rest of the world versus, you know, yeah. miles. Nautical miles or yeah. whatever, yeah. So uh, what I found out was that um, you can use the SAE grade system, which isn't going to work with bikes because bikes are going to use the ISO fastener method yeah so when you get into different uh grades there so there is a what is there a, there was a uh 5.8 and 8.8 then a uh 10 9 and a 12 9 rating for yeah. strength and the higher the number is the stronger it's supposed to be That's and like the, the size the size of the bolt that most racks use is an m5 yeah so then you would get an M5 bolt that's rated at whatever. Yep. And then you can get steel, you can get aluminum, or you can get titanium. Yeah. Don't get aluminum ones. No, don't. Um, titanium would be light and pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it goes back to your application. I would just think a regular steel one, soft steel, would be fine for most applications. Yeah. Um. Whatever grade. I would probably avoid the alloys. Yeah. Uh, steel's going to corrode with salt and all that, but the alloys... They're stainless steel ones, though. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. And then titanium bolts, too. Um, if you're going to have, like, a fat bike, maybe invest in the tie. Yeah. You can get oil slick ones and tie. <laughs> there you go, bud. Fashion. Um. <laughs> but I'd say generically, you're... you're Nitrioxide uh, coated steel bolt would be fine. Um, yeah. Well, one of my uh, readers was concerned that the rack was rated to seventy pounds, and you're you know relying on these M5 bolts to hold it. You know how much shear force it really takes. I understand putting it on one and being worried about it, but I'm guessing you got like four to six possibly yeah. M5s. That's, yeah. going to take Four some minutes. effort to shear those. Yep. It's not that it can't happen, but you're not dealing with like a motion. You're dealing with 
It's going to be sheer weight that right. breaks. Yeah, it's possible you have a heat treat crack or blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but if you use your rack properly and everything yeah. is affixed to your rack snugly so there's minimize the movement, you it should not it should be able to it should be a static load. Yeah. You know. The tire should be taking all the absorption. Right. Maybe your bum. Um, if you hit like a series of washboards. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you definitely don't want your your trunk bag, if you use one, or your paneers jumping yeah. up and down on the rack. You want them slashed to that thing yeah. as tight as you can get it. Yeah. You want everything stable, right? Right. You don't want it to move. Right. You know, it's okay to give it the jiggle test and see a little wiggle, but... Ooh, that rhymes. I know. I just thought of it on my way. <laughs> uh, we should reverse it. It's okay to give it the wiggle test and see a little jiggle. <laughs> there we go. Um, but you don't want to see motion in the ocean, right? You know what I mean? Okay, that's enough. You don't want to see. You don't want to see that sack of swaying. Oh my gosh! Here we go. Uh, see, this is why you don't ask me for any of my thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, here we go. I revert um, to training 18-year-old boys. Yeah. So uh, as you choose your bolts, uh, if you have to, because most of these racks come with bolts. And generally speaking, if you get a rack like an old man mountain one or from some reputable company that's, that's like that, they're not going to sell you hardware that's going to fail. I, I would, because they don't want that out in the world, you know? I think we need to be real people and honest to God, understand that we know better than people that were paid to design the system and do what you want <laughs> and be damned with the consequences. Yeah. Use those aluminum bolts. Go ahead. <laughs> they're prettier and they're lighter. <laughs> no, I, I personally would not like using an alloy bolt on my bikes no. because... The issues I've had. It's a bad idea. Yeah, it's just issues I've had. Uh, it could be me. Lots of times in life it is me. So I have to work around me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, I would say as a mechanic, I can tell you that you should never bolt together something dry. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. Remember when I took the car in a couple of weeks ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he came out and thanked me for at least greasing every bolt I took out. <laughs> he goes, I could tell which ones you did. Yeah. They were greased. Thanks, yeah. bud. Yeah. So you definitely want to put something on your threads. That's yeah. the rule. So if you are afraid that your bolts are going to back out on you, which is possible on a rack, that happens. So you might want to use thread lock compound on there. Yeah. And so I would suggest you use blue. Uh, they come in different colors for different strengths. Is it red marine? Yeah, red's a little tougher. That's excessive. Yeah, you know, definitely don't want to use purple because you'll never get it apart again. Yeah. Um, but blue, blue is a removable type of thread lock compound. If you use Loctite, they they kind of uh, dominated that market for a while. Like but on my stems, Permatex is blue. They have a Permatex that's blue, and yeah. different brands that have blue. Like on my stems and other knickknacks that you know you probably torque or untorque mm-hmm. a couple times a year um i just put a little bit of chain lube on it yeah you can do that or grease you know lithium yep. grease uh is a good idea that way things don't get seized together yep and if you use titanium bolts you must use anti-seize yeah i that is a white lithium grease yeah day for me yeah or you can get the ge gray yeah lithium and never have to buy it again. Yeah. <laughs> a or little bit if, of that goes a long way. Or if you're a roadie, you could always wax them. Yeah, I'm you could. obnoxious on that one. You could. Got to poke at the roadies. Yeah, I know. But definitely put something on your threads so you, they, they can be disassembled or if it's a part you don't want to vibrate apart. Protect your threads, kids. Definitely Loctite it. Um, September thread is thread protection month. What? I'm making this up as I go. Stop Work with it. me. Well, people are going to believe you, and then we're going to get in trouble. If they're <laughs> listening to anything I say and they believe half of it, this uh, world is really sad. Yeah, could be. So, anyway, uh, thanks for the discussion on the threads and the bolts. Um, yeah, again, I really think that 
if you're buying a quality rack, the last thing the manufacturer wants is someone calling them and say, hey, my bolt's all sheared off in the rack you sold me. Yeah. You know, and they don't want that. So they're gonna, going to sell you high-quality stainless steel or steel uh, mm-hmm. bolts with that. And with Old Man Mountain, they're all their hardware stainless steel. And then lag bolt is not the appropriate term. Oh, golly gee, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But if you buy a bolt, if you get a package and it's got really long bolts with like a dead area in it where the tips are like threaded maybe an inch and the rest of the four inches is just solid, Mm -hmm. you're going to want to replace that bolt with the exact same bolt. Because that major diameter of the OD of the, what I would call the unthreaded section, I would call that a dead section Mm -hmm. because it ain't doing anything, right? you know, machine wise. Um. The reason why is is because that might be a major diameter fit hole. Right. So that section actually is probably could be the load bearing area and the threads right. are just holding that lag bolt in there. Right. You know, so these are the things you need to think of. Um I got the right length, I got the right course, I got the right pitch. But do you have the right app going back to the right application? Right. So yeah. I to to your point, uh, the Old Man Mountain divide rack is made to fit a lots of different bikes. Yeah. So the stays are wider, so it fits boost bikes and stuff like that. Well, the singular is not a boost bike. Okay. So for that application, you have to use, a, oh, I don't know, what was it, 10 millimeter? A spacer. Spacer. Or yeah. And use their longer bolt for that. And I would imagine the ID of that spacer is pretty close to the OD of that bolt because that's the bottom rack mount and it's going to have a lot of weight on it. So, yeah, but you definitely want to use their spacer, their bolt. Yeah. And, uh, I would always default to saying, go to the OEM. Yep. Um, original if, equipment manufacturer. Yeah. So if you're someone like me who, you know, thinks he's smarter than everyone else, um, I learned from experimentation. <laughs> Yeah, I I perform all my own stunts, so you don't have to. <laughs> so if I if I ever give you advice, you should probably listen to it on that one. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you I you don't have to go to the same exact manufacturer, but if you can go down to a bolt store and they can whip out the calipers and get you within, we're gonna talk millimeters. They can get you within like a hundred microns, um, depending upon their micrometer. Rocket. Yeah, you know that's a, that's a that's a human hair roughly. Right. It's a little bit thicker than the average human hair. Right, hundred microns, eighty microns is technically a human hair. So, if you can get within that and the length of the bolt, as long as you're probably within um eighth of an inch, you'll probably be fine. Yeah, yeah, but most racks will have all that hardware with it, so yeah. and okay. more than enough generally. I'm trying to remember my classes on it. I think you need to have, generally, depending upon the application, you need to have two full threads engaged for safety. Yeah? Is that what it is? Yeah, so two full turns, generally, for for the application. That's like bare minimum standard. Mm-hmm. Again, application specific. Right. If you're holding a bridge together, that's a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But if you're holding gotcha. a bike together, I'd say if you got two full turns in there, depending upon what you're doing, you're probably okay. Yeah. Um, if it's holding your weight, no. Right. But if it, you're holding the weight of a rack, probably. Or a water bottle cage yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So think about that. Um, we'll have more. Hopefully we get this trip done this weekend. Yeah. We'll have another thing to talk about oh, crap we haven't even talked about hubs i thought we we're going to talk about hubs today oh yeah well we got another podcast to do that yeah so you want to do um gravel grinder uh, amplifier yeah you got one yes gravel amplifier section is the section of the podcast where we talk to you about little known gravel events across the nation that n- normally wouldn't get any publicity on or normal cycling sites, and we elevate them or amplify them so you can know about them. So I apologize. I'm not going to give out this lady's home address on the podcast. Okay. Out of is you know, that grassroots? It's that grassroots. Wow. 
So I would give out a phone number. I would give out an email because those people could always just block them. But I'm not going to give you someone's home address. Right. Um, well, we can just put it in the show notes and you don't have to say it on air. Yeah. So this one, your postcards need to be received by 20 September. It is for the Omaha Jackrabbit. Oh, um, yeah. I've oh, heard of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is on 1 October in Blair, Nebraska. And they have a 100K or 25-mile option. And I did not see a fee. I did not see a suggested fee. I did not see a place for a donation. So my reading up on that means it's probably goodwill. Yeah. Um, you can take that for what it's worth. Is this like the Blair Gravel Witch Project? <laughs> I <laughs> Sure. I actually went to a wedding in Blair, Nebraska. Oh, you did? Yeah. They have like an old school um, that I think some business runs events out of oh yeah 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 yeah. or maybe the school's smart they just run wedding receptions out of it yeah maybe making some money on the weekends that'd be smart gotta get the football team helmets (laughs) anyways um basically i i would say it's a free event i haven't seen anything that says it's a free event but basically postcard and solo tech tells me it's a free event but um i would go do it uh, I imagine other people around the Council Bluffs, Council Tucky, yeah. Omaha area will do it. Yeah. Um, when is this on? 1 October. Oh, okay. But your postcards need to be to this lady on 20 September. Uh, I pulled this up on the gravel cyclist calendar. Okay. So go there for her address. Right. And uh, best wishes. Yeah. Cool. That used to be run by a couple of guys I know. Apparently, it's been taken over by this lady. So you maybe see, she's just a good Samaritan. Maybe she's just doing the admin work. They would be the, th- th- she would be the third, um, RD of this event. I was about to say it's kind of a long-standing event, right? Yeah, they originally started out as the Omaha Jackrabbit One Hundred. That's what it was originally called. Yeah, and uh, it was a one hundred-mile event run out of Omaha, Nebraska, and I want to say. 2010-ish was when it first yeah. came around, yeah. And uh, it was kind of a big deal at first because there wasn't a lot of events back yeah. then. Um, then that original, I don't know who ran it originally, but then a um, uh, guy by the name of Pell Duval and Scott Red ran it for several years. I know. Scott Red, R-E-D-D? Yep. Okay, okay. Yep, they ran it for several years. And uh, I know they were kind of getting towards the end of their rope there as far as the energy for it. So. Oh, I thought maybe they were having Pace Picante Salsa. <laughs> no. No, you, you know, you put on an event for so many years, after a while it gets to be kind of a, you know, you you lose your energy for it. Yeah, you, I get asked you know. to put on a mountain bike race again at a certain location here in Iowa, and I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to deal with the drama. Right. Yeah. I mean goes back to our last podcast when we talked about how to be a good event participant. Oh, the attendees were great. Getting the event going was, it's always fun when you have people that know more about your event than you. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should be doing this. Actually, I'm not willing to do that, so no. Yeah. That's the other thing people need to think about with race directors is, yeah, you have a great bunch of ideas, but you don't know their bandwidth. Right. You don't know all the complications in their life. Right. And you don't know what they think is easy or not easy. Right. Like my skill set, you're like, hey, Dave, let's talk about some machining applications today. And I'm like, okay, I'm not an expert in a lot of it. But if you want to talk about gear cutting, I would arrogantly tell you I'm probably in the top 5% of the people in the world. Because <laughs> not a lot of people do gear cutting. Right. You know, so I arrogantly, not top yeah. 5% of the people who do it, right. just world population. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So anyways, um, yeah. So just, just think a, about a, that. Yeah. And, and the other side of that is, you know, they've already got, uh, a lot of, a lot of sticks in their load. And if you give them this other idea, that's just another stick that they can choose to put on their load or not. Yeah. And their load might be full when you give them this idea. Well, so it's like, it, you know, it might, might be why they don't do it. First day, first year I was doing Monday night, no drop gravel. Yeah was fine people were happy people liked the routes people never rode out there moved locations 
Grouse, 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 yeah. grouse, grouse. Guess what? Year three comes around. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Right. Don't care. Just I had my fill. It was like I was donating all this time and yep. just got grousing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I've been there too. So I would come, but you make me feel excluded. Uh, you've never came. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> the squirrel's looking at us. I think that's the same squirrel from the day I moved in here 15 years ago. Really? It's pretty big. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's he's a little bastard in the winter. He's just just up there. Barking at you. Yeah. Yeah. As he's like chewing on his nut. Yeah. We did pick a good day to be outside, by the way. Yeah. Low wind. It's low wind, night, low humidity, very pleasant out. Not like last week. So I'm going down to Dysert after this. Yeah, I'm you gonna, just mentioned that going to try to get 12 miles of level bees and that I've never touched. Yeah. I don't even know the roads are open. For all I know, they could be seas. I know one that is. Right on the edge of the county. Oh, by the golf course? No. no. Not going over there. Over by the Dysert Hills golf course? No. North of Dysert. Yeah. That's the golf course for Dysert's north of off of uh, Dysert Road. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like two miles north. It it goes east to west is it right on the county line i think it's it's i know it's just south of hickory hills because the c road is actually in benton county yeah that would be south of hickory it starts at the county border goes to 11th and benton County. it's clearly gated off on both ends yeah Yeah, we're talking about the same one all kinds of woods yeah. Around it, yeah. Yeah, you, you had a guitar Ted death ride yep. ride past it. Right. Yeah, I know when you, no, not not going near that. Okay. There's no. another there's another cool level B not very far from that. All what I'm looking at is south of Dysert. Oh, okay. Uh south to Dysert, in between Dysert and Garrison to the south. You probably go by that one place that had all the weird pillars. No, the weird pillars were between Dysert and Treyer and that area yeah i'm going on the other side of oh, highway 21 okay. like people are listening to this have no idea what we're talking about they're actually they're cool people and they're whipping out their maps <laughs> and they're trying to figure out what chaos i'm, I'm glad you said maps where else would i go <laughs> i don't know your commentary earlier led me to believe that maybe we were in trouble i'm breathing <laughs> so we, therefore we are in trouble <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this up before you don't we have a gravel trouble. amplifier. No, I don't. Huh. Not unless you want me to mention the Fox Ridge yeah, Fourth Ride. Throw throw a Ben Petty a bone. So this is October first too. The, the uh, Fox Ridge Filth Ride is speaking of B roads. He's got like uh, I think a hundred mile course and a quarter of it's all dirt. All dirt roads. Are you wanting me to challenge Ben Petty to a B road bonanza? B road throwdown. Oh my god! So yeah, he's got a course, and it starts at the Fox Ridge Winery, and um, it's free. All you have to do is email Ben and let him know you're going to be there, because for everybody that finishes a hundred, he's going to have a little medal for you, a little medallion for you, made out of wood, made by him, made by his own hands. So sounds like there's a. Loba, that extra ingredient called love. Yeah. Yep. And, it, you know, their Fox Ridge Winery has no connection to the ride, but they are having a festival that day. Yeah. I wound up changing in the parking lot across the street one year. Yeah? Yeah. There's a parking lot across the street from it? No, yeah, there's a grass field. Okay. And there was an old dude running around. I can't remember if COVID was happening. No, it was a year before COVID because I was riding really strong. I was actually able to draft Mike Maney and Chris Adams for once. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like much to the average bear, but for the people around this area, that's that's a that's a huge step. Yeah. yeah. So the Fox Ridge Filth Ride um, also has shorter distances if you're not up for the 100. They have something in the 50 range and something in the 35-mile range, I believe. But we'll, I'll have the link to the Facebook page in the show notes. And if you go to the Facebook page, there is uh, Ben's email that he wants you to use to let him know if you're coming for the 100 so he can make you a medallion in case you finish. And Ben's the type of guy, you, you just show up and you tinker and do your own thing. He's yeah. stoked. Yep. He's like, oh, someone else. There's different get- start times yep. and, you know, 
it's pretty loosely organized, but it's one of those things where it, it's super grassroots and it's just a lot of fun. It's pop up gravel. Yep. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So throw, throw that on your calendar your, of ideas to go to. If you're in the Midwest, it's definitely worthwhile. You're riding mostly in Tama County. Uh, one of the better counties for gravel riding in Iowa, I would argue. I wonder if it, does, does he got them going through Gladbrook? If so, you I can go to the so. Matchstick Museum. There's a Matchstick Museum in Gladbrook. Yes. I did not know that. There's a museum of uh, pepper shakers in Traer. Well, you always... Salt and pepper shakers. You always wind up in Traer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you guys find out what that's about. So, anyway, I think that's enough for today. We'll... Uh, Thank you for listening to another Guitar Ted podcast. Uh, next time we are on, we hopefully have something for you about uh, our trip. But if not, uh, have a happy Labor Day weekend and stay safe, folks. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>